get rolling. Let's go and open our Bibles to Ephesians in the fifth chapter. Ephesians in the fifth chapter. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. You remember that? Charles Dickens' epic opening line of his literary classic, A Tale of Two Cities, captures the spirit of not only the ungodly French Revolution in the late 1700s, but also the Marxist upheaval of our culture today where all moral restraint has been cast off in the name of getting on the right side of history, in the name of being woke in, in the name of social justice and these things, and all within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, it, you know, with, and uh, manifold government overreach, all right? And listen, it's just, it's just out of control. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and maybe you felt like I did. It's like, it was a horrible summer. But you know what? When we look through what is, We have eyes to see, and we have vision to see beyond what is to what ought to be. And when we view the culture in which we live through the lens of a comprehensive biblical Christian worldview, we understand what's wrong with the world, and we can understand how what is wrong can be made right. All right? And so if we are going to be intentional in building a missionally engaged Christian worldview, Rooted in Holy Scripture, we must intentionally walk in such worldview wisdom, and we must also intentionally walk in the redemptive stewardship responsibility of life, and also intentionally live on mission in Christ by engaging culture with the gospel for the glory of our risen Savior. Dr. Al Mohler junior president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in his most recent book, Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church. Very good book. Just finished it this week, last week. He said this, it was as if Western civilization was burning right before our eyes. Notre Dame's iconic image as far as when the Notre Dame Cathedral was on fire, April 2019. It was as if Western civilization itself was burning right before our eyes. And, and mind you, it's important to understand that the, the, the iconic image of this cathedral is more than a feat of architectural genius, he says. The cathedral stood as an essential monolith of Western civilization, signifying the central role of Christianity and the development of European identity. All right, what that means is that when we... In, in, in our context here in America, when you drive through a city and you see the different old churches, the steeples dotting the skyline, it's a, it's a testimony to the influence of the Christian faith on the history and shaping and molding and the, and the lives of people that have made that city their home. All right, and so... When we saw Notre Dame on fire, the message, in many respects, was a symbol of the erosion of Christendom in Western civilization. Because even in Europe, the ancient cathedrals, the, the architecture of it, the message was clear, Molora says, is that the, it, the, the, the intentionality of the, the Gothic architecture and the spires and, the, and making you feel infinitesimally small and the, the message was this, 
is that the cosmos is all about the glory of God. Because when we have a high view of who God is, it puts us in our proper perspective. And by way of contrast, when we have a high view of self and man, we tend to have a low view of God and therefore his word. And he says that Notre Dame's history chronicles the erosion of Christianity's dominance over Western civilization. Because any student of history understands and knows that when the French Revolution hit the fan in the late 1700s, what these ungodly, bloody, evil, wicked men did, one of the things that they did is they stormed into Notre Dame and they tore down the statue of the Virgin Mary at the heart of, really, the, the incarnation. Christ Jesus came into this world. Conceived by God the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth, right? And they tore down the statue of the Virgin Mary. And know what they replaced it with? They replaced that statue with a statue to the goddess of reason. Man's wisdom. And so it was an attempt to usurp the Christian faith in the name of the cult of reason. Think secular humanism, dear ones. And so when we're in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sure you're there by now. Look at this in verse 15, reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Here the Apostle Paul, writing by divine inspiration of God the Holy Spirit to the church in ancient Ephesus and every one of us today, living today in the dispensation of grace. He says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, mind you, the apostle is writing here to this church, this grace assembly, in, in a fabulous, spectacular city, full of culture, full of diversity, full of wealth, and yes, full of a whole lot of depravity and filth and perversion. It, Ephesus was one of the locations of an ancient wonder of the world. It was called the Temple of Artemis, or Diana of Ephesians. And we see this in the book of Acts, chapters 18 through 20. And the Temple of Diana, or Artemis, what well basically who Artemis was, is a pagan sex goddess. All right? And so listen, when we see the, the, the filth and the perversion uh, you know, of, of LV, LGBT and all these types of things in our culture, listen, all that stuff is not new, all right? In, in the first century, what people did when they were going to, hey, let's go on vacation to Ephesus. They did the same thing that we do, right? And so what do you do uh, when you go on vacation? You get souvenirs, right? You see, this is one of my souvenirs. This is an authentic Filipino barone. I got it from some of my friends in Manila. And, and this, is, this, is, this is what, uh, this is the formal dress for Filipino men. Uh, this is from our, one of our grace churches in the city of Manila, Philippines. Uh, and listen, so you get souvenirs, right? So what people would do when they would go visit Ephesus, they would buy a little tr silver trinket, little silver statue of Diana. And eventually, what people 
we're doing, when the light of the gospel is infiltrating this pagan darkness, people's lives are being gloriously transformed. They're being saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by believing that he died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. They're trusting Christ as their Savior. They're worshiping the one true and living God, and they're not buying the silver trinkets anymore. My, my, my. You know what? Have you ever noticed that when how money issues really get people all bent out of shape, right? But listen, and the devil is, I mean, and he, he operates in many respects the same way today. And listen, when these, there were, were temple prostitutes of these people and they were the sexual perversion and that was an act of work. And listen, the devil perverts that which the, which the Lord has made beautiful in the context of marriage. And listen, and, and the, the powers that be, these key players, they, they were ticked off, all right? And they were inciting rebellion and riots, and it was crazy. There's nothing new under the sun, dear ones. And if we really want to be a catalyst toward positive change in the world in which we live, and the, the answer, as far as social justice, God's way, is the gospel, dear ones. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, just the verses 11 through 18. You need to scan through that. That is the way that diverse ethnicities are reconciled to God vertically and through one another horizontally is the power of God's love and grace through his blood shed for us at the cross of Calvary. And listen, there was a brother pastor. He's with the Lord now. His name was Wilson Watkins. Do you remember him? Wilson Watkins was a grace pastor, first Philippian grace church in Detroit, Michigan. He was an uh, honorable man, and yes, he had a lot better suntan than I do, and he served honorably as a soldier in the United States Army in World War II. He was in the invasion of Normandy. He was a D-Day vet, and he came into the grace message and everything. He mentioned at, uh, at a Bible conference in my hometown one year, he said that Jesus Christ did not die for white people. He did not die for black people. Jesus Christ, the word of God, teaches that Christ died for sinners, period. The glorious truth. And the way that diverse ethnicities are reconciled unto God and to one another is through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's social justice, God's way, amen? And listen, you remember the old children's song, Jesus Loves the Little Children of the World? It goes, you know, uh, red and yellow, black and white. Can you sing that anymore? I mean, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. You remember that song? There's another verse to that song, too. It goes, pink and purple, blue and green, strangest kids you've ever seen. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children. of. And so the point being is that Paul is writing this letter to these people, exhorting them in the spiritual wealth that they have in Christ Jesus that liberates them from feeling inadequate to face the challenges of life and insecure and inferior to face the challenges of life and that God is deploying them into the harvest field of souls to be light in the darkness and the moral back pressure as the church, the body of Christ. And so in verse 15, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, to have your wits about yourself and to understand that the, the world in which we live is, yes, 
Like Louis Armstrong saying, it's a wonderful world. Yes, it is indeed. We see a remnant of beauty, but we understand that we live in a fallen, broken, sin-cursed world, desperately in urgent need of living hope in Jesus Christ. But and listen, we're, if we're to walk circumspectly, we're to understand that, listen, this is no picnic. This is no playground. This is a battleground, dear ones. Look over to Colossians chapter 2. Watch this. In this epistle, this was a city of Colossae. This is basically in the same neighborhood as Ephesus. And Paul is writing this letter to this grace assembly as many respects as a, as a, to instruct them in the preeminence of the supremacy of the who Lord Jesus Christ is. All right, because one of the things that they were dealing with there is they were dealing with what scholars call syncretism. Syncretism is, a, is an intermingling of belief systems. We deal with that on the mission field. You know, a lot of times people say, uh, hey, Buddha is okay with Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, what's wrong with that statement? You know, basically you can, you can, believe, you can worship Buddha, but and you can also worship Jesus as well. All right. What does the, the Old Testament talk about? How the Lord is a jealous God. All right. You follow that? The real question is not whether or not Buddha is okay with Jesus. The real question is whether Jesus is cool with Buddha. All right. You follow me on that? Listen. Jesus Christ is not a way to live your life. He's not just your truth is different than my truth. All right. He is the truth, and He is the life. That's, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff that they were dealing with in Colossae. When they were dealing with intermingling with Jewish legalism and Gnostic, you know, pagan Gnosticism and Eastern mysticism and biblical Christianity. And Paul's laying it out. It's like, bam! Jesus Christ is not going to share his glory with another. Amen? And look at in chapter 2 and verse 8. It says this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Watch this. And so if we're going to walk circumspectly, we need to understand to be spiritually alert, alive, awake, enthusiastic, right? To, be, to understand the times in which we live through the lens of Holy Scripture. And understand, just as Paul is warning them here, beware lest anyone cheat you, rob you, spoil you. Of what? Your spiritual reward. Because one of the sub-themes of the book of Colossians is the believer's spiritual accountability before Almighty God at the judgment seat of Christ. Because do we realize that there is coming a day in which every one of us, we will stand before God. Our lives will flash before our eyes. We won't have to speak because our life will do the speaking for us. And the testimony of our lives will bear witness as to how faithfully we invested the time, treasure, and talent of our lives in eternity by advancing the gospel as an athlete, by defending the gospel as a soldier, but also cultivating the gospel as a farmer. And what we did with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the gospel of his grace. And so our lives will indeed bear witness to the Lord. And so 
Paul is warning the Colossians and us that to beware of these things that will rob you of what God wants to do and how God wants to magnify the glory of all he is in through the testimony of your life at the judgment seat of Christ. All right? And so look at this in verse 8. He says, beware of the cheat you what? Philosophy. Hey, what's wrong with philosophy? I had philosophy class in college, pastor. Well, listen, there is indeed a Christian philosophy rooted in Scripture. We talk about philosophy of ministry and everything. But the kind of philosophy that is antithetical to biblical Christianity, it really has, it really is rooted if we understand the history of Western civilization. There was a time in which it was impossible to not believe. All right? Like you think in medieval Europe. Everybody believed in God. St. Mary's was, you know, the church was the Satan, the state was the church. It was just, it was the way it is. But then with the rise of the Enlightenment and man having a high view of himself and a low view of God, man's reasoning, it was the rise from the pre-modern world to what was known as the modern world. And then you get Charles Darwin and everything, and it was boom, 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 snowballing to, you know, to craziness. And we're to the point in the history of philosophy, what's called postmodernism. There is, there is no truth. Truth is whatever you want it to be. And it, listen, this is antithetical. This is contrary to the word of God. And look what he says right here. In, right here. He says, Where will anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit? Akin to postmodernism, the outright lies what we're dealing with today is known as secular humanism. Is really is this man's reasoning exalted and really applied to what Pastor Owsley was talking about a few weeks ago. Remember when he said about the Hegelian dialectic? Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. I mean, as, as far as Marxism, these types of things. Outright lies. Listen, the Word of God teaches this, that Jesus Christ is absolute authority, right? No government, no state, no magistrate, period. Amen? And so look at what it says right here. And this says this right here. Look at verse 9. The reason why Christ is indeed sovereign authority, because look at verse 9 says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All right? Let me teach you something. You know, you may or may not be a hand-raising type of guy as far as a mode of expression in worship. You know, I am. You know, hey, I've been, you know, if been to a newsboys concert and everything man when they hit crosses the final word it's like whoo hands were up like wow but anyway so i'm gonna ask you to put your hands up just kind of like right here maybe you're not even comfortable putting your hands up right here but uh anyway uh but anyway that's just having fun with that you know the bible teaches this is that jesus christ is 100 percent god and 100 percent man and put your hands together right in one. Listen, anytime you're going to uh, illustrate eternal realities of who God is with finite human hands, it's going to fall short, so I get that. But it's just a simple way to actually teach, teach kids and teach people on the street like, who Jesus Christ is, all right? He is God the Son, God in the flesh. There is nobody like Jesus. And so I would encourage you, that's one of the best questions to ask somebody, especially in, you know, in this neighborhood or wherever you run. What's your understanding of who Jesus Christ is? You know, what kind of spiritual beliefs do you got? Oh, I see that, you know, you're, you know, you notice that when people get ticked off, they get really spiritual real quick. And they talk, start talking about Jesus. Hey, you got the right name, you're just using it wrong. 
You know, it's just, we can capitalize on these things. But look what it says right here. Empty deceit, philosophy, empty deceit. Look what it says in verse 8, according to the tradition of men. One of the very interesting things, as far as traditions of men that we're seeing today, that we need to be aware of, is it's, it's, it's what one guy calls moralistic therapeutic deism. Have you ever heard of that, MTD? Moralistic therapeutic deism is really, in many respects, the, the, uh, the prevailing uh, ideology, the pre- prevailing belief of a, lot, a whole lot of Americans, especially young people. Oh, there is a God. He's over there, and he just, you know, uh, he, he's, he's kind of a cosmic genie. He's there, and he just, you know, he wants people to good, be, be good, and golden rule, and good people to go to heaven because God is love and these types of things. But he really doesn't have any bearing on your life unless you want him. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's wrong, all right? It's, it's, it's tradition of men, and it doesn't, it doesn't stand upon the absolute authority of the word of God. And look at the end of, one, end of it right here. And he also says, beware, lest anyone rob you, cheat you, spoil you, th- according to the basic principles of the world. Uh, Tim Keller, Presbyterian pastor from uh, New York City, he describes something that he calls baseline cultural narratives. In many respects, uh, you know, it's, I, I see this as the, the basic principles of the world that we are bombarded with in, in this era of history, in the context of our generation. As far as what are the basic principles of the world or the baseline cultural narratives that we're bombarded with any given day that are contrary to who, not according to Christ, all right? You know, put it this way, maybe your, your mind's already going, it's hashtag this and that, and you know, you pick your letters, right? LGBT, BL, BLM, I mean, you name it, all right? It's just boom, 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 boom. It's just, wait a second. The Word of God teaches that these types of things are antithetical to who Jesus Christ is and who he has made us in his image all men are endowed by are created equal by their creator and are endowed by their creator with inalienable rights right amen these are god-given not discovered by the spirit and so the issue is this is that all these things are not according to christ and look at the end of look at verse 10 it says and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power because when we understand who Jesus Christ is and who he has made us in himself, we understand that we have everything that we need. We, we, have, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We are liberated and set free from feeling inadequate to face the challenges of life, from feeling insecure and inferior, and we are set free to become who God has called us to become and to do what God has called us to do because who he has called us to be in Christ Jesus. Amen? And so back in Ephesians chapter 5. Watch this. In Ephesians chapter 5, when Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Wisdom is rooted in a reverential fear of Almighty God. Have you read Proverbs lately? Read the ancient Hebrew prophets? I pray that you read the entirety of the word of God, not just the Pauline epistles. Yes, we understand that. But listen, I would encourage you, if, if you've struggled with that, get, go out and get yourself a one-year Bible, 365 daily readings, Psalms and Proverbs, Old New Testament, boom. Read the entirety of the word of God consistently and therefore build intentionally a comprehensive Christian worldview rooted in Scripture. And look at this. 
in verse 16. He says, redeeming the time, he says. We're to intentionally walk in worldview wisdom, but also to intentionally walk in redemptive stewardship. Look at this. It says, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Somebody said before that, yeah, it sounds cliche, but, you know, the, the past is history. The future is a mystery. And the present is a gift. Or today is a gift. That's why we call it the present, right? And so every one of us, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Every one of us are given the breath of life. And in God, we live and move and have our being. For he is the author and the giver of life, breath, and all things. As Paul told the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers in the Areopagus there in Mars Hill in Acts 17. Well, look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Dear ones, as you're turning there, it's possible to be a Christian, it's possible to be a grace believer and not have a biblical worldview. And unfortunately, we need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer for our country. We need to be in prayer for our churches because there are so many, there's such division and, 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 and you know all about it. If you're on social media and everything, it's like, man, you need discernment on what to post and what not to post and these types of things because it's like, listen, I, I've experienced it myself. As the Lord, give us discernment. And listen, we need to be very intentional in pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and not not to be bashful and shying away from uh, you know just controversial things, but pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ foremost. And look at this in verse nine. It says, "Therefore, whether we make we make it our aim, our goal, our heart, our passion, we make it our aim." Second Corinthians five and verse nine. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, as far as we're present with the Lord. Or absent from the Lord and here in the physical body to be well pleasing to the Lord. He's saying that my heart and my passion is to live a life that honors Almighty God. It's possible to be saved and not live a life that's well pleasing to the Lord. And God forbid that should be the testimony of our lives. And hence that's why we ought to be people of the book. And basing everything, our lifestyle, what we believe and how we live on the word of God. And look at it, it says right here, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. That's not heaven or hell, that has to do with ministry, as far as how well, how faithfully we stewarded, we, as far as the redemptive stewardship responsibility of life, investing the time, talent, and treasure of our lives in eternity. And look at it in verse 11, he says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, dear ones, because there is coming a day in which our lives will flash before our eyes. Let's go back over to Ephesians chapter 5. John Piper said this. He said that the coronavirus is God's thunderclap call for all of us to repent and realign our lives with the infinite worth of Christ. I mentioned earlier that uh, or it's just somewhat of a lamentation looking back in the summertime season and perhaps you've felt the way I've felt, and it's, it's fascinating, you know, in that uh, classic uh, work of literature written by J.R. Tolkien. Incidentally, he was instrumental uh, in leading C.S. Lewis to embrace faith in Jesus Christ. And 
in his book, The Fellowship of the Ring, two characters, Frodo and Gandalf. One point, uh, Frodo, he was lamenting. He, was, he just said, uh, he said, I wish the ring had never come to me. And Gandalf, he says, he said, I wish that none of this had ever happened. And Gandalf wisely said, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All you have to do to decide, he says, is what to do with the time that is given you. And listen, regardless of the season of our lives, that's what God has called every one of us to do, to understand the times, but a vision to see beyond what is, but also to initiate decisive action. Because look at verse 17. He says, understanding, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. He says, verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is, yes, God has a, you know, God has a very particular will for each of our lives, and we can trust him to lead God and direct the pathway of our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But listen, we understand, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me show you this, as far as the missional engagement of culture with the gospel, engaging culture with the gospel, God, as far as God's will, his heart, his passion, his intention, which is to be central to our hearts and our lives and our church. He says right here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and listen, as conservative Christians, man, I'm sure you're just like me. It's real easy to moan, groan, gripe, and complain about what's wrong with the world and our you know, government and these types of things. But listen, it takes wisdom, vision, and courage to initiate decisive action to actually do something about it. And when the Lord gives you open door of opportunity like we've been able to have ourselves, our family, to speak to civil magistrates and let them know that we pray for you. And we pray that you would have a passion for righteousness in the gates of our land, for marriage, family, life, and liberty. Able to share that with the U.S. Senator. Pray. Just as 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And be able to communicate to these ones that we pray for you. We're thankful for you at St. Louis Bible Fellowship. And we pray that you understand that you have been appointed by Almighty God and you are accountable before Almighty God. And look what it says right here. For this good in the sight of God our Savior, who desires or who will have all men to be saved by his grace. And to come to to the knowledge of the truth. Understanding who he is and what he is doing today in the age of grace. And he says right here, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Piper said also that in the coronavirus, God is loosening the roots of settled Christians all over the world. To make them free for something new and radical. To send them with the gospel of Christ to the unreached people's of the world and listen dear ones in the dispensation of grace god has given us the message of his grace he's given us a mandate to go to all nations we understand we do, that the lord is not reaching the nations through israel today 
And as he did, was his intention, his heart was in the prophetic program. Today he's reaching the nations in spite of Israel and through the church, the body of Christ, you and I. And we are plan A, there is no plan B. And if we do not open up our mouths and speak of our faith in Jesus Christ, there, there, is, there is no plan B, dear ones. There are many people that will never have the opportunity of ever hearing of the living God. There are many people in the world in our country, that they operate and they live in an arena of influence, they, they do not even know anybody like you, any conservative Christian whatsoever. And even just the simplicity of living life, being, like I mentioned to Pastor Mrs. Owsley, being heterosexual married people that are faithful to each other, and that you're, I mean, you're, you're making a difference, salt and light, moral back pressure. And then when you open your mouth and, and, and speak of Jesus Christ, listen, it's not about me, myself, it's not about us, it's about Christ and the glory of his name demonstrated in and through the lives of people for whom his royal blood was shed and be able to speak with these ones that, hey, God knows your name. He loves you. He hates your sin, but he loves your soul. And dear ones, just as Dickens said, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And yes, indeed, there's a lot of challenges this summer, but it was a great summer. And we live on the threshold of opportunity, and this could very well indeed be our finest hour, dear ones. And maybe years from now, You've considered this. Years from now, you'll be able to look back on this era of history and look back and, and think, God, I wish I would have said something more than I did. I wish I would have done something more than I did. And listen, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not allowing fear to control our actions, dear ones. And through the obedience of faith, may God indeed send us forth. Just as Mordecai exhorted Hadassah in the book of Esther. And Mordecai told her, he says, that if you don't step up to save your people, because there was a genocide going, happening against the Jews, Mordecai said, if you don't step up, help will arise from another place. But he said, who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And listen, just as Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. May it be the case in our lives. Because when it all hits the fan, what God's people must do is through visionary leadership. Just as Hezekiah did when Sennacherib was assaulting and laying sieged to Jerusalem, the king Hezekiah said, be strong and courageous. There is more with us than are with them. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to fight our battles. And the answer in this battle is the gospel, pointing people to the blazing center of the glory of God vested in the person and finished work of our risen Savior. So indeed, dear ones, be intentional in walking in worldview wisdom and redemptive stewardship of life and missional engagement. 
And may we be faithful to do that, to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning right in our homes, our families, and our churches, our community, and culture, and beyond. Father, we are indeed grateful that you are indeed good and greatly to be praised for who you are. And we're thankful for your great love for men and women, boys and girls, among all nations worldwide, O oh God. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up a generation with a passion for your glory to intentionally walk in indeed this worldview wisdom rooted in scripture and the redemptive stewardship of life and to missionally engage culture with the gospel, O oh God. May you be pleased to do something awesome and mighty indeed, even as Pastor Owsley already, already prayed. May your spirit send a great awakening. And come what may, O oh God, come what may, may our hearts be resolute in conviction, knowing that nothing and no one can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus, in whose glorious name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen.